0: Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of The Link. So grateful for you joining us today. You know, when I bring up the word justice, what do you think of? Well, for many of us, it's a lot of emotions that come along with that word. For some, it's energizing. It causes us to think about mission and righting wrongs in the world. Uh, For others, it's a word that has been sullied and soiled and has negative connotation, and we feel that maybe there's no place for this discussion within The church. Well, I believe that justice is one of the most misunderstood virtues of Scripture. So today we're going to have a very important topic that I'm simply going to entitle redeeming justice to help you to understand justice as an attribute of God, as a directive in Scripture and what it looks like lived out practically. As always, I've invited some friends with me that I really appreciate and I believe you're going to appreciate as well. First off, Nate Knapper. Uh, Nate is a Woodside member, and he has a huge passion for justice. He's the founder and CEO of the Joseph Project. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the program. He's also a federal law enforcement agent who works for the human trafficking uh, division here in Detroit. And, uh, Nate, I'm so grateful for your heart and for your work. God bless you, brother.
1: Thank you, Pastor Chris. Appreciate the chance to be here.
0: Yeah, grateful for you. And then a longtime friend, Mark Van Andel. Uh, Mark is a pastor, a community developer. He uh, currently serves in the Hesed Community Church Uh, leadership team, he um, just is one of the great theological minds, in my opinion, in this region, and a man who's really dedicated to uh, serving and loving well those who are often marginalized, overlooked, and mistreated within our own communities. And uh, Mark, I appreciate you greatly. How are you?
2: Thanks. It's good to be here. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you here, man. Uh, Let's let's talk about justice if we can, Mark, and uh, as always, these conversations, if you ever watch the link, start in scripture. And I do believe that justice starts in the heart of God and in the heart of scripture. So give us a sense of what uh, justice is.
2: Yeah. So justice has been used, the term has been used so much in our current context that I think we've forgotten that it's a biblical word, yes. that this is something that God instituted. And when God set forth his, his uh, way of life in the world, when he created humans in the Garden of Eden, he said, this is, these are the guidelines by which you can live. When humans violated those, when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were taking on our own self an injustice. We committed a crime against God and violated the justice, the way of God. So from the very beginning, we fractured this, this right relationship, this right living with God. As a result, then also our relationships with each other were fractured, and we were uh, in a process, then from that point forward, from Adam and Eve, we've seen a process going forward where humans have been trying to use their power and authority to uh, create benefits for themselves, to the exclusion and the oppression of others. And so that's kind of the the initial process. And then we see that through the whole Old Testament, where God's people were oppressed in Egypt, and then they, uh, God freed them, and then they became oppressors uh, during the reign of Solomon. And so there's, there's kind of this ebb and flow of processes where humans are in relationship healthy with God and then broken relationship and ultimately that creates fraction and uh, friction between us and other people too.
0: Yeah I like to think of it in terms of dignity right in particular if we believe Genesis 1 26 that we've been made in his image right so we're image bearers and it seems to me that what scripture continues to tell us to do is to treat one another with dignity to honor one another to esteem one another, not to take advantage of one another. So when you use that word oppressed, what come, what triggers in my mind is what happens when I don't treat you with dignity, when I exploit you or when I take advantage of you in, uh, in any way, is that what you're getting at?
2: Exactly, I think the Old Testament prophets call out the people of Israel all consistently by saying uh, you are using, you're oppressing your workers, you're not treating your workers with fairness, or you're using improper measures, you're trying to get your own to your own benefit. And we can do that both wittingly and unwittingly. So we can do that consciously where we're trying to get over on someone and then we can also participate in systems and communities that also uh, create that imbalance and that oppression without even knowing it, and that can be the the difficult part of experiencing that.
0: Yeah, so I wanna get to what this looks like in society because um, Nate, a lot of people will feel like that, um, yeah, I I understand the concept of injustice. I understand that I can take advantage of you, exploit you, lie, cheat, mistreat you, oppress you, right? But um, it doesn't just stay in the realm of interpersonal relationships, does it? It can become societal. So what does it look like when injustice becomes societal?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, so my understanding of justice is is very simple. I mean, it's just the concept that something is wrong and you're making it right. So justice is making a wrong thing right. And, you know, when I think of the concept of justice, oftentimes my mind runs to something that MLK uh, said. He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I think that that's important and we can affirm that statement. But I think the more important concept to understand is why that's true. And it's true because of what he says next. So MLK would go on to say, that's the case because we are all interwoven into a common garment of destiny. So that something that affects you directly also affects me indirectly. So for example, if somebody steals my car, and uh, they're not punished for that, or they're not corrected in some way for that, and I don't get my car back, uh, and I don't get any form of um, restitution for that, for example. That tells you something not only about how society views my property, my car, in this example, but it also, in a sense, tells you something about how society would view your property, your car. So, I think that's what he was talking about. We're all interwoven into this common garment of destiny. And I think that when we disregard the moral standard on which the concept of justice is based, then it becomes a social issue, not just because an individual has been wronged, but because of what it says about the value of everybody else's dignity, everybody else's property, et cetera.
0: Yeah, so James uses this thought within the church community of favoritism, right? Or preference. So when we begin to treat uh, certain groups of people with preference at the expense of others, it says something about us, and it does not reflect the heart or character of Christ. It says something about a society when that happens. And so what is the response to that? What is the Bible then? You reference the Old Testament prophets What does the Bible then call us to do in response to injustice when we see that?
2: Yeah, I think I would say um, instead of viewing things through a retributive model, like Nate said, we need to think of a restorative model. How do we restore things back to the way God would intend for them to be? So in restoring the affirmation of the image of God that's created in that person. A, A great New Testament example of this is Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus has been doing people wrong and violating people's uh, by taking more tax money than he should. Then the Lord calls him out and Jesus says, come, I want to be in your house for dinner today. So he goes and shares this meal and Zacchaeus then goes back and repays people according to the debt that he owed them from the Old Testament, the Old Testament prescription. So he's restoring that which he had broken through his oppression of other people. And I think that's what we have to view is how do we restore the dignity of people, how do we restore the image of God, the inherent dignity of people, and how do we restore the, uh, the actual wrongs, maybe even financial that have been wronged to be able to bring restored relationship out of that.
0: Yeah, I love this thought of restitution because I think this is the part of repentance we miss, right? Uh, if I say the word repentance to you, oftentimes we think of what? Apologizing, right? And uh, part of good catechism, part of uh, understanding Scripture well, is to recognize that repentance is more than just say, hey, I'm sorry, but it's a recognition that because I have uh, wronged you, there was something you lost, right? And, uh, and, and this restoring is to make whole again, to bring shalom again. And a lot of our communities need that, right? They need shalom again. Um, Mark, I'd love to ask one more question of you, and that is you kind of pressed into this thought, and I'd love for you to unpack it, that there's times when we can be participating in injustice and not even know about it. Yeah. And I remember uh, for a while, I decided I'm not gonna drink any Starbucks coffee, right? Uh, And I'm not a huge Starbucks coffee guy. And so if you don't like me because of that, you'll have to forgive me. We all are forgiven under the blood of Jesus. (laughs) I might walk off set. you (laughs) You might leave. But I'm not a huge Starbucks guy, but I am a huge fan of Ethiopia because I am married to an Ethiopian. And I remember hearing my wife talk about how the Ethiopian coffee bean farmers were in a financial dispute over a broken contract with Starbucks that they were supplying coffee beans to Starbucks. Starbucks was making millions of dollars off of it, but they weren't honoring their contract. And I think about how, for whatever length of time, how my buying Starbucks resources was in some small way reinforcing the injustice that was happening there. Is that kind of what you're getting at, you know?
2: Yeah, we make unconscious decisions just because they're convenient to us or familiar to us. And uh, we we don't question those assumptions. We fail to question how our actions have direct implications on other communities sometimes. And so I think sometimes it's just helpful to step back from that and reflect on that and say, oh, what is my investment in this company? I own shares of stock in this company. What are their business practices? What's the implications of that on the third world country where they get their products from? Or because I benefit from this low price, what worker is not getting paid a fair living wage as a result? So I think um, it's just helpful to step back and start to think on those and ponder those things to be able to see how our lives. Now, you can get caught in a, Bind if you start getting hesitant every time you go to the grocery store, which products. But I think that in general, it's helpful for us to step back and reflect on that to be able to think about how justice is implicated in our economics particularly.
1: Yes. Yeah, and I do think it's possible to get so granular that you get, you get tied up. I mean, even the example that you used with Starbucks, I mean, I suppose that you're, you're assuming there that somebody has the knowledge of that contractual dispute to to feel that prick of conscience, if you will. So, for example, if somebody were not aware of that dispute and the ways that the Ethiopian people were being wronged by that uh, contractual breach, Mm -hmm. then I feel like uh, somebody would go buy their praline latte and they wouldn't have a problem with it. But if you know about what's going on, then there's sort of a deeper level of conscience that kicks in, right?
0: Absolutely. And just to be clear, they've reconciled that situation. So drink away. But my point in, in bringing that up is you're right. Uh, for he who knows to do right and not to do it is sin, right? So once there is a consciousness or awareness of sin, to continue to participate in something uh, is, uh, again, it's sin to us, and it's furthering the mistreatment or exploitation of people. There's so many different directions we go with this conversation, but Nate, one of the things that I'm so impressed with with you is how your convictions around justice led to some significant life path choices. So how has your understanding of justice, injustice shaped the direction of your life?
1: Yeah, I appreciate the question. And you know, for me, so uh, for the benefit of the audience, I, I am an attorney by training. Uh, So I'm a Pepperdine Law graduate, graduated in 11, and uh, went on to work for the State of Michigan Attorney General's Office for a time. While I was there, I had an opportunity to work on the Michigan Commission on Human Trafficking, and then after that experience ended, I went on to the FBI Academy at Quantico, where I graduated, and I've served as a special agent of the FBI here in the Detroit Division ever since. So you know, within those roles, uh, they are obviously very justice oriented. And uh, right now, uh, of course, the FBI is under the umbrella of the larger Department of Justice. We call that the DOJ. And so you're right that my career trajectory has, um, has taken that, that arc. And, you know, I think that for me, Pastor Chris, it, it really does in many ways go back to God's heart for justice i think that the the scriptures are very clear god loves justice it says that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne in the psalms and when you talk about people being made in god's image in his likeness rather than a commodity to be bought sold abused used exploited or damaged in any way then it leads you to conclude that we are supposed to adopt a very high view of humanity, because we're made in God's image, and we're supposed to have a high and holy view of God. And so I think that that understanding has informed my career trajectory. I always wanted to do something that I felt was significant to my soul, uh, and not, not so much about uh, the bottom line or the finances. And uh, so that's what led me to, to practice as an attorney. Uh, law enforcement officer, and then in the nonprofit field with the Joseph Project, which is about the rendering of legal aid to survivors of human trafficking.
0: Yeah. So again, so grateful for the work that you're doing and the, the lives that are being changed and impacted because of it. But what I really appreciate is the, how, how justice has to become practical. It has to become um, actionable, right? Um, we can't just um, lament and not move to leadership. You know, Before we started recording, we, uh, you know, I brought up Thurgood Marshall and how thoroughly impressed I am with his life story. If you've never studied his life, an excellent life to study, but Thurgood Marshall looks at the injustice that's happening during Jim Crow uh, era here in the US and his response to it is to become an attorney and to argue cases that would change laws and uh, impact the way people lived. What I love about that is that we, yes, we do have to cry aloud. We have to make sure we're doing that. We do need to lament over the brokenness, but he went from lament to leadership. And I think that is hugely important. So hopefully part of what this conversation will do for each one of us is to cause us to say what's broken that God has called me to fix? Um, What evil has God called me to eradicate? But there's another side of it, and this is the restorative side, and that is what beauty doesn't exist that God has called me to restore, or maybe even uh, to create. Um, there's, There's another side that I want you to talk about for a minute, Mark, and that is how this can become, again, structural. Because we've talked about it on a a kind of a personal individual perspective, but societies have institutions, Mm -hmm. right? That means sin can be codified, can't it? Yes. Legalized even, and we've seen that. So talk about the structural side of it. Sure.
2: I think uh, when, you, when you see the, the fall of humanity, you realize total depravity is what I was trained in, what we were trained in with Calvinism. But uh, this thought that all of society is broken and fractured by sin. So therefore, the institutions that we build as, as broken humans are going to be fractured. So we need to do some... Uh, evaluation. We can't just assume that all these institutions are functioning properly according to the will of God. We have to question that. So when we're involved in work, uh, for me, I've been passionate about education. So I start asking questions. How is education, how is the education system broken or fractured? Or in communities, how how has policing impacted? How has that been fractured or broken? So just to ask questions and assume that because these are human institutions that they probably have issues that we need to address and deal with. And then we need to listen to people who are impacted by those things. Listen to people who have been on the underside potentially of those and um, and try and figure out how can we make this institution work better for all of, all of us, for myself and for my neighbor who I'm called to love as myself. So it's asking those questions and trying to um, then do like Thurgood Marshall did and enter into those places and use our influence and our leadership in those places to change the systems, to adapt them, to be able to be more in line with how God's kingdom operates.
0: Yes, you know, and I think that all of this leads to two things. Number one, I have to first examine my own heart. And I think the mistake that often we make is to have a critical eye on society and culture, and we're all drawn to the injustices that enrage us. But I got to start, right, with praying, saying, Lord, you know, uh, examine my heart, reveal it to me, and where there are injustices in my life, I need to correct them. But then I do need to begin to look at the world around me and say, how has God call, called me to be engaged? Um, sometimes it can feel overwhelming. So, Nate, I want to hear you just talk about how do you avoid being overwhelmed? I mean, you're working in an area that can be literally Overwhelming. When I think of human trafficking, the more that I learn about the stats around it, the more I, I learn about modern-day slavery and what that looks like in the U.S., honestly, there are times when my soul feels so overwhelmed that any action feels like a pebble being thrown into an ocean. So how do you avoid feeling overwhelmed to the point where it paralyzes action?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, so you talked about modern day slavery. I mean, so to contextualize human trafficking a little bit, trafficking is just the commercial exploitation of another person for sex or labor services through force, fraud or coercion. So, you know, when you're commercially exploiting somebody, uh, what you're doing is you're profiting off of their sex or their labor. And you're doing that by means of force, fraud, or coercion, so whether you're compelling somebody to do something through violence, or you're defrauding them through promises of a better life or a future, maybe you're threatening them, or you're coercing them by means of drug use, this legal concept of drug-based coercion that's so frequent in the trafficking field, you are, in a sense, enslaving them. And uh, you talked about slavery and the overwhelming numbers that exist, I think the last number that I saw according to the ILO, the International Labor Organization, was upwards of 40 million slaves all around the world. And so when you talk about the United States of America, you do have tens of thousands that are enslaved in some form of sexual or labor exploitation. Uh, And within the state of Michigan alone, we have hundreds of of those people who have been identified in the past, and I expect that that trend would continue through the years. to avoid becoming overwhelmed, I, I think that it's just a matter of, of having a stubborn refusal to believe that things can't improve. Uh, for me, I, I've always been attracted to big problems uh, and big challenges because uh, I feel like uh, Jesus's mandate was to whom much is given, much is required. And I feel that I have been given um, a skill set and an understanding of an issue. And uh, I want to chip away at the problem and give back to the extent I'm able.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, maybe a good place for us to kind of end this is to say, um, we all can make a difference somewhere. And I think it's the collective efforts of God's spirit working through his people that really does bring about, uh, the massive change that we're looking for. But oftentimes, Nate, history has shown us he does use certain individuals to certainly be a catalyst. You know, I think of Will, William uh, Wilberforce and, and his catalytic call to overturn slavery. And he literally took something that was unquestionable in his lifetime to unthinkable. And uh, may God allow that to happen in the area of modern day slavery, in the area of educational injustice. For my wife and I, it is fighting for the unborn and in um, justice there and the orphan. Uh, we want to see that. But I would love uh, for you, Mark, uh, before we close to maybe just talk about how the church as a body can respond, because I don't want us to think just as individuals. But how can we respond as church as a church body?
2: Sure. I think um... Obviously seeking the scriptures is where we start because we want to know that this is God's heart We want to be convicted that this is God's heart and then praying like you said Lord Please show me where I can be an agent for justice in the world And then I also think that it's good to learn and listen get on a learning journey So when I first heard about uh, the effects of racism, I was clueless. I was like, oh, I haven't heard of this before, but that started me on a journey. So I started reading different authors, Dr. John Perkins, and so forth. That got me thinking about things differently, and that started a call on my life to be present to the issues of this city. And that moved me and my family into the heart of the city. And that that was a slow, long journey. That's been a 25-year journey to get to the point where I am today, so it hasn't just begun but I think that as we as we take those steps of obedience and learning and growing and seeking out God's heart for justice in the world, I think that God really does make a way for us. And then his spirit goes with us and leads the way and allows us to be able to like, operate with hope, like Nate was saying, that we don't get discouraged or depressed, but we, we see that God's hand is still at work in this world, bringing about restoration and justice in the world.
0: Yeah, and I think that one of the misnomers with the church often Uh, Nate and Mark is that the church should just preach the gospel when the gospel has always been something that has been both proclamation and demonstration. We should never preach a gospel that doesn't move us to action or to the question of how now shall we live? And if we're doing it right, we're thinking about covenant community. We're thinking about the family of faith and saying to ourselves, how can we move together to maybe address what's hurting in our city, what's hurting in our community. And I pray that that will be the case. Um, Mark, can you close us in prayer?
2: I'd love to. Father, you look on this world and you uh, look on us with love. This is your beloved creation. And, and yet you know the brokenness that sin has caused. And um, you see the injustices that are all around us and your heart breaks. And you uh, are seeking to actively right those wrongs, to restore and redeem this broken world through the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit active in this world. So Lord, we pray that you would help us as your people and Woodside Church specifically as as a body to be able to seek out ways to participate in justice as a community. This is a strong and powerful community that's spread out all across the Metro Detroit area that has all kinds of influence and, and places that they're involved in. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to draw them together to fight for justice, to, to advocate for justice and to work for justice in this community and, uh, and around the world, even because their stretch goes there. So please, Lord, would you bring justice more and more each day through our work, through our prayers and, uh, and bring about what you want, which is your shalom to reign in this world. In Jesus name.
0: Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Uh, Nate, I could not be more overjoyed about the work you're doing through the Joseph Project. Folks, if you want to find out more, just uh, click on the link in the postscript that's listed there. Hesse Community Church is a wonderful uh, fellowship in the city of Detroit. Mark, thanks for loving the city well. And if you want to find out more, again, you can click there in the uh, postscript as well. Uh, Whatever you do, please pray that the Spirit of God would show you where your place is in overturning injustice and restoring uh, dignity as God would uh, lead you. And thanks for watching this edition of The Link.